The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by a guest speaker. The statements, views, and opinions presented in this message are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. That's online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. 8474. This morning, uh, the chapel speaker is the Reverend Chris Gordon. Uh, the Reverend Gordon graduated from this fine institution in 2004. Uh, and then after that, he ministered up in the Linden, Washington area for eight years at a church up there. And now is currently the senior pastor of Escondido United Reformed Church. And so, and also now helping us out on the faculty teaching. Uh, during Dr. Johnson's sabbatical and study leave, teaching one of our preaching classes. So I'm delighted to call him not only a former student, but now a colleague and a friend. Please come. Well, it's good to lead you guys in chapel uh, today. Um, I know it's a busy time uh, for you, as many of you are approaching finals. Uh, So I thought I would talk to you about tongue speaking in the midst of all that, because uh, maybe you're seeking for some added revelation at this time, and I will put that out, I assure you. Um, I, I know that uh, the faculty is going through 2 Corinthians uh, in the morning devotions and uh, in Professor Kim's class also, uh, you're working through papers, I think, in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, you have that opportunity. So I thought I would, um, this morning, uh, go back to 1 Corinthians and just for a few moment, few minutes here, look at the issue and deal with the problem of tongues. It's, hope that doesn't seem arrogant. I'm going to look at 12, 13, and 14 chapters uh, in just a few minutes, but uh, hopefully I can give you kind of a big picture as to what Paul is, is doing here uh, in these three chapters to address what was a mammoth problem uh, in the church in Corinth. Uh, it, just for a few verses to read, um, just at the beginning of ver- uh, chapter 14, I'll just read a few verses there uh, that might help to give you some perspective in this. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries, but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied, for he who prophesied is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless he indeed interprets that the church may receive edification. And one more verse. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? And then you'll go notice there that he goes on to even use an illustration, an example uh, with musical accompaniment. Well, I, I think it goes without saying that the more uh, eccentric today, the more outlandish, uh, the more against the status quo that you can be, the more you will gain a following uh, in the ministry. Uh, look at Hollywood. Uh, there really is nothing anymore uh, of what we know as a normal actor. What is a, what is a normal actor? Look at how they uh, present themselves. The people who make the crudest of jokes, the person who has the most uh, wow factor, the person who dresses the most provocatively, who can stand out most from the crowd, uh, gets the biggest paycheck today. So you're living in a culture that's very similar uh, to what was going on uh, in Corinth. I mean, even as a child, 
as a basketball player, we were always taught uh, to be like Mike. Uh, I, uh, I bought the shoes, so we wore the t-shirts, and I think the guy's still making money on that. It's really remarkable. Uh, but what attracts us to them is their, uh, their charisma, isn't it? Uh, some kind of charm that inspires devotion in others, something that outwardly attracts us uh, that makes us want to be followers of them. Uh, well, this was exactly the problem that had happened with spiritual gifts uh, in the church in Corinth. They were so caught up, if you were to go back and look at some of the problems uh, that this book addresses, they were so caught up in doing and using the world's wisdom to do ministry, they forgot, uh, as Paul said in chapter 1 and 2, that it is through the foolishness of the message preached that God has chosen to save those who believe. There was nothing that would be ultimately outwardly attractive to the world. But they were so caught up when it came to gifts with the supernatural or the um, extraordinary gifts in communication with God, that uh, something terrible had happened in the process. A sort of class structure developed in the church with regard to gifts, and the lesser gifts of the lesser people uh, were now devalued, and they meant nothing anymore in the body of Christ. It was a, it was a real sad thing that had happened in this. Only the, the super spiritual gifts were valued in the life of Corinth. Uh, and it led to, uh, if you look at here what Paul's doing, an undermining of the whole design of Christ's purpose to equip every member to be, as Psalm 110 says, willing servants in the day of his power, or as the Heidelberg beautifully says, that we would use our gifts, all of us, for the service and the enrichment of other members. The issue that he's dealing with was an abuse of, of spiritual gifts. And the apostles' main point here in these chapters is to corrupt I mean, it's too corrupt, is to correct a corrupted view of spiritual gifts, explaining that true spiritual gifts uh, come from the Lord and have the great goal of building up and unifying the body for the common good. You'll notice he says that in chapter 12, that his goal in giving gifts, the Lord's, was to be for the common good of the body. Now, if you, if you were to look back at chapter 12, where this whole section begins, where he's dealing with this problem of gifts, He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. He's dealing with a specific problem in Corinth uh, with what they consider to be super spiritual things and super spiritual persons. Background is sort of important. If you had traveled to um, to first century Corinth, uh, there were a variety of different temples there and Corinth being full of spirituality. They had priests and priestesses in these temples. Sacrifices were performed. And the mystery religions, a host of what we, the Old Testament would designate as diviners, soothsayers, or sorcerers, all of that uh, was found in the, the mystery religions and the things that were going on in Corinth. But the peculiar claim was that they claimed in the use of, of in these temples, in their worship, these super spiritual persons claimed to have contact, direct lines of communication with the gods of the culture. They claim to have these lines of communication, and lo and behold, many of these uh, occultists, many of these people claim to have supernatural powers. Now, it's important to say that when Paul addresses much of what he does here in uh, chapters 12, 13, and 14, uh, when we come across the things that he's addressing, especially tongue speaking, which is the big thing he's addressing, or glossolalia, as it was designated, 
That was not something only familiar to biblical writers. It was something practiced in these religions. That's a really important point to understand what was then being borrowed from the culture and brought into the church that had corrupted the original design of tongue speaking as was given in Acts that were known languages. They had uh, the phenomenon of what was known as religious ecstasy, uh, the Dionysian cult and the cult of Apollo. I quote one author, the mystery cults of the empire were designed to induce both higher and lower forms of ecstatic feeling. It took various forms, such as gnashing one's flesh, dancing nude in a frenzy, and speaking in ecstatic utterance. There it is. Interesting. The latter was the means whereby devotees sought to have communication with the saving deity. So, so again, to speak with tongues was not just a New Testament biblical phenomenon. Um, the other phenomenon at the time was known as enthusiasm, um, listen to another writer. Not every man can be a miracle worker or a seer, but most are susceptible to ecstasy, especially as members of a great crowd, which draws the individual along with it and generates in him a sense of being filled with a higher divine power. And so the rising tide of religious feelings seeks to surmount the barrier which separates man from God. It strives to enter into the divine. That was called glossolalia, or tongue speaking. Uh, that was not something, again, only known to biblical writers. Now, Corinth had this big problem with tongues. Paul is leading us there. He's going to deal with this big problem, but he first has to set a few things in order. He first has to correct a few things. And really, he is dealing with the problem by showing their whole view of spiritual gifts and the use of spiritual gifts has been corrupted and is wrong. Uh, here's what happened to sort of, in the short time I have, capitalize on the big problem that he's dealing with and where the abuse of gifts and where it all went south is that Paul's essentially saying by the time he gets to chapter 14, understanding no longer mattered in the church. That's a really big point for him. Um, they, they could, these, these, these people, these super spiritual persons, could do things with such utterance, such power, such capability, such ability. Who would dare question that it would not be from God? Uh, look at the charisma. Look at the ability to, to speak in tongues. We've seen it over there in the temples. It's happening here. But this guy's really communicating with God. Our God. So bad uh, that you'll notice in the first few verses there of chapter 12, Paul does something kind of remarkable here. He says, no one, uh, you'll see there, um, it's verse 2, yeah. Um, Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. Um, what in the world would generate that kind of statement that he could say, that no one says that Jesus is accursed. Was that going on? He may be using a radical example. It's hard to imagine that was going on, but his point was that it didn't really matter anymore what the truth was, did it? It didn't matter because the super spiritual person was saying things and it was accepted, and, and because he said it, it must be true. And, and now you sort of see how tied that is into um, to our church setting today. Some powerful speaker gets up, 
has a great claim to some kind of revelation from God. And it no longer matters what he says. It just matters that he says it and everyone kind of blindly follows. The blind follow the blind. Um, we do this with music uh, to some degree. We all know the phenomenon with music, what it does to people. And, and it's no longer really based on today in many corners of Christianity truth. It's no longer based upon what you're saying to God. It's based upon how you feel when you sing. And, and so maybe you've, you've seen the people whose hands go up and they sway when they're singing. I was particularly struck when I heard and I witnessed people doing this to America the Beautiful. <laughs> How do you sway to America the Beautiful? Um, it, it sort of proves the point, doesn't it? That it's only sheer unmediated feeling that is often dominating our, our approach to God. And when that happens, look at what somebody who comes up who claims to have direct communication with God can do. So you could have, and Paul uses music to illustrate this point, accompaniment, and says you guys don't even do that with musical accompaniment. You know, we heard the piano playing beautiful, you know it has to make recognizable notes and sounds for us to be able to use music and sing and, and do it appropriately. But that's not how uh, things were going in Corinth. That's not how any of the gifts were being used. That's not how it's used today. Um, enthusiasm warps sound judgment. Enthusiasm, God within. Uh, feeling overrules truth. All that matters today and what was done in Corinth is that it was powerful and that uh, it was reaching to the gods and we were somehow having some kind of great spiritual experience. And Paul now addresses this by dealing with the issue of gifts, the purpose for gifts. You'll notice there in the first few verses, in verse 4, he says, listen, there are a variety of gifts, but there's the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You got this all wrong. God distributes everything. Not only does he distribute the gifts, he also distributes the activities and the opportunities to use those gifts. It's all from him. But it has a specific goal of edifying the body, of helping the body. And that's not what was happening specifically with the gift of tongue speaking. In chapter 7, they had asked him a series of questions about things that were going on in Corinth. And we don't know exactly what it was, but I can surmise and I can construct what I think in light of what he does in chapter 14, the question was. Paul, we know tongues is a gift of the Spirit. We know at Pentecost it was known languages. But we're confused as to what is exactly happening in Corinth. It's ecstatic speech. It's, it's dominated the church. It's gibberish. We come to worship and we have chaos going on. Think of chapter 14. God is not a God of confusion, but a God of order in worship. Priestesses and, and pro prophetesses were getting up and speaking, and he addresses this, uh, the appropriate role of men and women in the light of the church. But, but, but the question must have went something like, what do you understand by this gift of tongues? It's taken the cake here in Corinth. How do we process this? Well, I, I wish I had time to go through all this, but in verse 29, the first thing he does, and I believe there's two sort of authority structures in the early church for the uh, extraordinary offices and then what we know as the ordinary offices. He, he regulates the extraordinary offices. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? 
Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? What's the answer? Of course not. Well, you just put out the Pentecostal claim, at least in some quarters, that everyone needed to speak in tongues. If that were the case, Paul's saying in the early church, only a few people would have been given that gift. Only a few. God has appointed those for edification. So then in verse 31, he does something fascinating, and I know I'm moving at lightning speed here. I've got a few more minutes. He says something um, really interesting, and I, I believe the construction is best to read, but you guys are desiring the higher gifts. This is where all your desire is. This is where you're placing all your emphasis. This is what you think is where the spirituality is all found. But i got a better way to show you. You know what that way is? Love. Chapter 13, now as he's put gifts, a theology of gifts, rooted it all, gifts now in love, <laughs> then he's going to deal with tongues. But think about this. Let me show you something that's far greater. Let me show you something that's far more excellent than the things that you think are the highest gifts, the most spiritual gifts. Let all of your activity in the life of the church be dominated by one thing, controlled by this, love. Now, doesn't chapter 13, you only hear it at weddings. It makes a little more sense now, doesn't it? If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have all prophetic powers and have all, understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all that I have and if I deliver my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. So think about it. If I was... If I had the greatest voice, golden mouth, chrysostrum, if I had the greatest mind, I read all the fathers, I knew it all, I knew all the scriptures. If I was the greatest giver, if I gave my body to be martyred in the Colosseum, if I do any of that without love, I'm nothing. See how he just assaulted intention in the use of gifts? No love. And love is so important in this because love requires... In the use of gifts, a what? A denial of yourselves. And this is why we do ministry. It's a giving of yourself for the spiritual benefit of somebody else. And now with love at the fore, now with love here at the center, and now in front of us, theology of gifts rooted in love, Paul has one great goal to deal with this, their question about tongues, and it comes in verse um, 19 of chapter 14. Or is, yeah, I think that's right. I'll just read it. In the church, I would rather speak five words with understanding that I may teach others than 10,000 words with a tongue. He had been working to get here. His entire point is to say that what we do in the life of the church, the motivations behind all of our actions, behind all of them, should never be about us, but done with a denial of ourselves for the edification of the body, with the gifts that Christ poured out on you, and now rooting it all and prioritizing it all, he explains that gifts controlled by love, he now answers their question about tongues. Is your gift of tongues being controlled by love? No, because look at what it's doing in the life of the church. There's no understanding. Whatever was happening in Corinth was a severe departure from the design of tongues, so that uh, the design was that someone would be given the gift to speak in a known language, 
others would be given the gift to interpret that language for the benefit of the body, for the entire congregation would then have knowledge and understanding. That's why you needed interpreters. But the gibberish stuff borrowed from the glossolalia of the culture through these super spiritual people used in the life of the church, and this is just the stuff uh, many Pentecostals claim today, Paul is saying there's no love in that. That's why chapter 14 begins with pursue love. It's not for edification. So gifts are for common good. It's a really important point. Gifts are not to make people merely spectators, but to be receivers and understand truth, divine truth. And so uh, you'll notice in verse 1, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, chapter 14, especially that you may prophesy. For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. I believe that's, there's some sarcasm there, but that's another issue. For no one understands him, but he understands mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their building up and encouragement and consolation. I want you guys in the life of the church to pursue love. Go after love. But I know you're wrapped up in all this other stuff. Here's what you should know. Here's where your value is. Here's where your desire should be. Don't miss this. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up who? Verse four, himself. That's not love. (laughs) The one who prophesies builds up what? The church. That's love. Now, brothers, if I came to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you? That's not love. Unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching, I want you to understand all this. That's what Paul's saying. Driven by love, this is what you should desire the most. This is the center of your worship. This is your greatest desire. When you come together, it should be for edification. It's even interesting that Paul, to close here, uses an illustration. He says, let's just imagine that somebody walks into your worship services and they hear you doing the gibberish stuff. What are they going to say? You're wacko. You're crazy. Well, that's how many uh, people from the world have viewed the church when they've seen this stuff. But Paul says that's not the goal. The goal is when somebody comes in, notice his evangelistic and mission mindset here. When they come into the church, they should be so convicted by the truth. It's so got into the heart, into the conscience that they fall down. And what do they say? God is in this place. God is in this place. That doesn't happen through tongue speaking. It happens through the proclamation of the truth the gospel preached. So so Paul's saying the ministry should be having that kind of effect, to which I say that if it's not clear, if it's not plain, if it's not powerful and plain, you're rarely going to see that kind of effect in the life of the church. Um, Now, why why did I want to talk to you about this today? Well, uh, I believe that it really is the solution to the kind of rock star ministry that's happening in the United States. We do this for the sheep. (laughs) We do this for their benefit. It's not ultimately about us. We're postmen, if you're going to be a pastor. We're postmen delivering a message. And if we're all going to go into this wanting to make some kind of difference, you have one great calling. Make clear God's word to the people. That's what Paul's saying. That's how your gift will be used in love. And if you're not going to be a minister and you're going to be used in the, the, the service of the church in a variety of ways, use your gifts to promote understanding. That's what he's saying. 
we're all a part of that. We're all together in that. And every gift is important in that whole thing so that understanding is promoted and that people are saved. So God wants you to know how much he despises confusion. And that should put out the tongues question, shouldn't it? Especially today when whatever's going on in much of Christianity looks nothing like what it ever was in first century Christianity when tongue speaking was originally given by the Spirit. Uh, love should be for the building up of the body, not looking out for our own interests, but for what God has said is most beneficial for the growth of his body. I hope that encourages you in the midst of your finals, but let's pray to the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, we're thankful that you care a lot about your truth being advanced, and we pray that you would help us, Lord, to be faithful uh, and clear in the proclamation of the gospel. We, we in the Reformed world can be just as guilty, even though we don't speak with tongues, we can sometimes be so heady and so intellectual, using so much jargon that we never get into the hearts of people. And so we pray, Lord, that by your Spirit, uh, he would reach deep into the hearts of your people with the truth, and that there would be the kind of response that Paul talks about here when people heard the truth, that they would fall down and say, God is in this place, and turn from their sins and be saved from the wrath to come. Thank you for your faithfulness in continuing this ministry to this day. Bless the seminary. Bless the students. May the proclamation of your gospel go out faithfully and clearly to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Copyright 2016, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.